Just a quick prayer before we dive into the scriptures and my message this week. Father, your word is eternal. Thank you for the inspiration of the story of Daniel in Babylon with Nebuchadnezzar. As the writer of the Hebrews says, we learn from these people of faith in such a time as this. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're joining us uh, for the first time on our YouTube channel or on SoundCloud, my name is Edward, one of the ministers here. We're preaching a new series from the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, and we've entitled this series Courageous Living. And the title of this message is Courageous Living in a Stressful World. Many of us grow up uh, reading stories or having stories told to us, or perhaps for to be culturally relevant, maybe we just watch Netflix and Disney. But so often, stories begin with once upon a time. As we will hear the scriptures and about Daniel and this episode in chapter 2, it can seem that it's just once upon a time, about 500 years before uh, the arrival of Jesus Christ. It's a long time ago in another place, in another time, in fact, in a whole different era and culture. But it's worth remembering that it's not fiction. These are true stories of real people with real faith in a real God. Philip preached last week uh, from chapter one, and at the end of chapter one, it's like the story finishes on a great high. It's a triumphal note. Daniel and his three friends, particularly that the, the, the Old Testament book focuses on, are placed in important jobs in the country and the government. They're a long way from home, but God comes through for them in their faithfulness. They remained faithful to God and he honored them. He miraculously brought them into a position of importance and prestige. Is that the end of the story? Is that the, and they all lived happily ever after? No. Far from it. Because being the people of God doesn't inoculate them or us from difficulty. So right into the beginning of, of chapter 2, we suddenly face and recognize that Daniel and his fellow people, those in Babylon, are in danger in their lives. Chapter 1 tells us that they were walking close to God, that they were being obedient, and yet they were faced with challenge and stress. Courageous living in a stressful world. So let me ask you something. Do you think being a Christian is easy? I don't know if you've ever met somebody as a believer in God or maybe thought this yourself at some point. I haven't got any problems because I'm a child of God. God's so good to me. It's like sailing through life on calm, sunny seas. If I hear that, I become a little suspicious. Maybe, maybe I think a little bit resentful too because I wish I could say the same and claim that I had no problems and no struggles at all. But, but I actually think the reality is we do live in a stressful world. 
living through these last months of a pandemic and a COVID lockdown is case in point. If we need any other demonstration that this is actually true, that we live in a stressful world, turn to any page in the Bible. And it's vividly, vividly portrayed that it's not long between when God's faithful servants, men and women of courage and vitality, of great faith, actually endure struggles and crisis and hardship. A friend, Ron Boyd McMillan, who was with us a few weeks ago, reminds us again and again, when we turn to the pages of the New Testament, and indeed so much of the Bible in its entirety, that it was written by persecuted believers for persecuted believers in the midst of times of trial. So what of chapter 2? Chapter 2 helps us that, to understand that in the crisis we may face, we are facing, it's never beyond God. It's never beyond his ability to help. Rather, the things that we come across in a stressful world are perhaps opportunities to grow and learn, perhaps to endure, but through them all to become more Christ-like. Paul, in his letter to the church in Rome, chapter 5, says, And we boast in the glory, in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. So courageous living in a stressful world. What's the normal reaction when a problem confronts itself, when a circumstance raises its, its reality in our lives. For me, when I'm faced with a crisis or a problem, my initial reaction is that I tend to shrink back from the problems. I may try and pretend it's not there, but if you're anything like me, you know that that problem, even if you try and put it out of your mind, is always on the edge of consciousness, niggling away. Very quickly, that problem, that, that crisis, can generate fear and anxiety and worry. For me, I tend to see and I look at the challenge, the crisis, and it begins to fill my gaze and it occupies my mind and it takes up all the bandwidth in my emotion and thought life. It can impinge upon sleep and wakefulness. It eats away within, it causes disquiet from within, worry and anxiety. And then kicks in the imagination. Have you ever found that? That we begin to project forward about the problem, the thing that is facing us, the concern, and our imagination runs riot and produces in my mind at least, all the worst case scenarios, all the outcomes that I most dread are most likely to happen. Maybe that's just me. Daniel 2 helps us to know that we live in a fallen world which doesn't honour or obey God. 
that the world that we are living in, sojourning in, is hostile to God. And the very nature of being children of God, children of light, followers of Jesus Christ, is that we will bump up against this fallen world. We will face stress daily. We aren't yet living in heaven and the full and unveiled rule and reign of God. Jesus said it like this in John 16, I've told you these things so that, you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. If you hear nothing else from this message, hold on to John 16, 33. So chapter 2 of Daniel, there are two characters, two people who faced crisis and stress in completely different ways. One lost control of himself and became brutal and raging, while the other remained calm and helped turn the crisis into opportunity and kingdom victory. So let me just read a few verses from chapter 2. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he couldn't sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, may the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream. Interpret it for me. Once more they replied, Let the king Tell his servants the dream, and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I'm certain that you're trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream. And I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, there's no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods. And they don't live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men in Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death and the men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise man of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a decree, such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. 
Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from God, from the God of heaven, concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He disposes, deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in the darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. The chapter goes on. We'll pick that up shortly. Nebuchadnezzar. The emperor, the king, the, the most powerful man of the biggest empire, the superpower of that era, has a dream. He's afraid because in those days dreams were considered important and significant. And there were manuals written at the time on how to interpret and learn from them, wise men to consult and, and could let you in on the future. Everyone wants to know what's going to happen, to have the fast track, the inside knowledge. Even today, if you went to a bookshop uh, and looked in that kind of category of, of dreams and their meaning, so much is written about what we may glean about our consciousness or our inner psyche or even perhaps seeing them as ways of understanding the future. I'm not suggesting you head to the bookshop or Amazon and, and other good booksellers and find out uh, and order a whole selection of books on dream interpretation. But I am saying that God, again and again through scriptures, does reveal himself in all sorts of ways, including dreams. Anyway, Nebuchadnezzar, chapter 2, uh, verse 2 and 3, is so upset. He's frightened. He's afraid. So he turns to the wise men in his fear. Now, obviously, the story starts off kind of normally. King says, I've had a dream. Tell me what it means. Wise men say, well, what's the dream? And uh, imagine, picture the scene. Nebuchadnezzar's in the psychiatrist's chair, chair on the couch. I've had this dream and it's troubling me. And, and his, his wise uh, counsellors ask, well, tell us your dream, verse 4. Verse 5 and 6, Nebuchadnezzar's response is astonishing. I'm not telling you. You tell me what I've dreamed and you interpret it. Why? We don't know. It may be that, that um, he couldn't remember the whole content of the dream. He woke up in a, in a cold sweat, in fear. As the nature of dreams are, they sometimes evaporate like the morning mist. Maybe. Perhaps, as the text seems to indicate, that he was testing them to see whether they really had insight and power that they claimed. It's a kind of bizarre reaction of Nebuchadnezzar. He holds all the cards. He, he holds every string. 
And as expected, the wise men can't and are unable to interpret the dream because they don't know what the dream is. And then comes this extreme reaction from Nebuchadnezzar. Well, if you can't do it, you will all die and your houses will be leveled. That Nebuchadnezzar, remember, was the most powerful man. He's firmly in control of everything that mattered in his kingdom and in the world. He was top of the tree. There was almost nothing he couldn't do, nor could disturb his security. And yet this dream. It's a simple reminder to each one of us. That when we're fit and we're well and we're prosperous and educated and privileged, it's easy to succumb to the lie that we're in charge. That we're in control of our destiny. The master of our particular universe. For Nebuchadnezzar, the dream burst the bubble. Think about our own life, maybe yours recently or your past. Back in February, this year, suddenly there was panic buying of, of toilet rolls and pasta and baked beans and everyone started to fear and rushed to the shops and emptied the shelves. What if they run out? Or a storm, a hurricane, an autumn, summer, winter storm or a natural disaster or an economic shock or a pandemic. And we recognise this phrase... Will we ever get back to normal life? We recognise and have begun to realise perhaps in, in again fresh ways of how fragile our life is and how our living and experience can be. Or perhaps it's that visit to the doctors for a simple blood test and life is thrown into turbulence. So here is Nebuchadnezzar, utterly in control, but this dream, something that he couldn't control, a dream which got under his skin, lodged in his mind, which disturbed him, and it kept reoccurring. You see, Nebuchadnezzar had his security in the things he could control, the things he could manage and influence and therefore, by implication, the things of this world, the earthly things. And yet he was rattled when he encountered something that he couldn't control. This strong man felt weak and insecure. And to compensate, asserted his power so that he could feel strong and in control again. So often extreme reactions to unexpected events are common in those who get their security from things of the earth, from the tangible, the material, the things we assume we can control. I have to say to you, if you're putting your trust in earthly things, these things, it will disappoint you and disillusion you. You will never find your security there. A leader turns to a tyrant when threatened and challenged about their authority and leadership. A mother acts unreasonably when her child asserts independence, makes an important decision without consulting her. The decision itself is perhaps a good one, but she's upset because she's left out. She's receiving too much security from the fact that she's controlling her son's life. Some old family friends of mine 
The son got married to a lovely lady, his wife, but the mother-in-law couldn't allow them to live as husband and wife, always involved herself, wouldn't allow her son to grow up and be the husband to his new wife, always her son, and would always interfere, and the marriage failed. A man tries to commit suicide when his girlfriend decides to break off the engagement. He's received too much security from the relationship with her. A businessman gets angry and unsettled after being overlooked overlooked for a promotion that makes his life miserable and makes the life of his family members miserable. Depending too much on earthly recognition for security. As long as we live in a fallen world, we can never completely control the situations we face. We live in a stressful world. We're inseparably linked and living in this fallen world. And unless and until we have a deeper security and a fulfillment in the eternal one, the holy one, the perfect one, unless and until we put our trust in God, we will and are destined to have a life of insecurity. Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful political leader in the world, but a dream was enough to make him lose control of himself and act manly. But the other character is Daniel. How does he respond to pressure and stress? He's entirely contrasting. Unlike Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel had a whole lot to worry about. He'd just been delivered a death sentence. The men with swords and violence had come. Verse 14, Daniel reacts with wisdom and tact. Daniel said, hang on a minute. Let me speak with the king. Let me have an audience. He asked for time, and even though the king was willing to grant a bit more time, still that sword of Damocles hung over them. See, Daniel expressed the quality of gentleness and respect because his security was in God. He exhibited spiritual maturity precisely in the pressure cooker of this most stressful situation demonstrated spirit-filled living. 1 Peter chapter 3, 15, But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. It's important in our living to grasp hold of that. See, when we live for Jesus, courageous living in a stressful, fallen world The world is hostile to us and his ways. And we often face situations that ordinarily would cause us to panic or lash out or retreat in fear. What is needed is wisdom and tact. Daniel was zealous for God and his ways. We've seen that in chapter 1. Yet he stood up for what was right. He didn't roll over and compromise, even at the threat of his life. He remained courageous in his living. But along with his zeal and his passion 
and his deep conviction to stand no matter what for the Lord. He had wisdom. Proverbs 19, too. It's not good to have zeal without knowledge, nor to be hasty and miss the way. God gives us brains, and we need to use them to decide on the wise course of action to respond to any challenge that we face. Ecclesiastes 3.7, a time to be silent and a time to speak. If we receive an unjust letter of complaint or reproof, maybe it's just best to wait before sending something late at night or in the heat of the moment. So where do we go in these stressful situations? Verses 13 to 16. Do you ever see the TV program, Dad's Army? There was that character when some crisis hit, Captain Mannering, Captain Mannering, don't panic, don't panic. How was Daniel to remain calm when he heard he was going to die? He trusted in God who was bigger than the problem he faced. He knew that God would look after him and his own. And that if God is faithful, there's nothing to fear. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. You will keep in perfect peace the him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord is the rock eternal. Daniel knew because God is sovereign, even higher, even greater, even more eternal than the passing transitory nature of even the great Nebuchadnezzar. We are at peace even when there's great turmoil. Remember when Jesus was in a storm in a boat and slept on a cushion. And the disciples said, how can you sleep? Paul phrasing it in Romans 8, 28, that he knows that nothing can separate us from the love of God and lists everything that we might find difficult and says nothing separates us. Corrie Ten Boom said, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at Christ, you'll be at rest. How does Daniel respond? He prays. He gathers his friends and they pray. After hearing of the crisis and the danger, he responds calmly and confidently. He gathers them to pray. It's their one recourse. It's their repeated pattern and behavior. The Babylonian wise man had one thing right. No one could interpret and discover what dream Nebuchadnezzar had. But Daniel knew who could help them. There is a God who lives among his people. The astrologers and the wise of this world forget that God is close by at hand. Our ever-present help in times of trouble. They didn't get it right, verse 11. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they don't live among human beings. Have you heard? The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. 
that old hymn. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Or as F.B. Mayer writes, unbelief puts our circumstance between us and God. Stressful situations, the things that come before us that occupy our minds. Unbelief puts our circumstance between us and God. But faith puts God between us and our circumstances. Daniel and his friends don't panic but pray. They pray that God would reveal the mystery to them. If not, they were still in his hand. No one could snatch them away. And that night, read on the story uh, from verse 24. Read on the story. They, that night, God does reveal and speak. It's always in his nature to speak and reveal his ways. And before Daniel heads back to the palace, he prays again. Not on this time pleading and petitioning, but giving thanks. Prayer has so many forms. Daniel's praying, recognizing that God is sovereign. He is the ever-present help in times of trouble. He is the hope. And goes back to Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar greets him, allows him the audience, and Daniel shares the interpretation of the dream. I'd encourage you to read the rest of chapter 2. It talks about what Daniel sees. sees a big statue with a head and, a bo- and shoulders and a body and legs and feet. And Nebuchadnezzar's astonished. How can you know that? The living God must have revealed this to you. Indeed it had. And then Daniel goes on to interpret. I'm going to pick up just because it's important. In verse 31, your majesty looked and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue is made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly baked of clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, and not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on the threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without a trace, leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you rule of them all. You are that head of gold. And then goes on to say there will be kingdoms that come and rise up but weaker and lesser. Verse 44. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Nor will be left to other people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, and the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. 
King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and offered, uh, and offered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of the kings and the revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. And so Daniel is promoted yet more. Courageous living in a stressful world and faced with challenges. We either spin out of control and fear and rage and try to use our limited power, which ends up causing more destruction, more stress. But Daniel's courage and his deep trust in God, in praying, as we'll see in the stories to come, in praying, even when the circumstances seem to go badly. But in it, through that revelation, and Nebuchadnezzar begins to grasp it, the bigger picture. Whatever kingdoms come, whatever problems rise or fall, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, will endure always. His kingdom won't end that of Jesus, that of God. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Daniel grasps it. And we can hang on to this in whatever stress and crisis we're facing. That the things of this world will pass, but the kingdom of God will endure forever. The rock wasn't fashioned or made by human hands or wisdom or ideology or intellect or wishful thinking. But God, the word, became flesh amongst us. God is in control, even in far-flung pagan Babylon. The Lord lives, the Lord reigns. Whatever circumstance, whatever stress, whatever is eating away at the heart of the mind at the moment, Put God in your frame. God is in control of all situations. A pandemic, whatever ism and ideology seems to be in ascendancy, whatever news has broke upon you, whatever robs you in your sleep of peace and rest, God is God. Oppressed people everywhere, the persecuted, know that the evil that we encounter in a fallen world is not the end of the story. The fallenness, the brokenness is not the end of the story. Picture how this chapter ends. The most powerful man on the planet head and shoulders above all the rest, falls prostrate on his face at the feet of a young man who has been ripped out of his nation and enslaved as a vassal in this powerful state of Babylon, who is an exile, a refugee with no rights. Picture that scene. Chills of excitement that the flames of hope will rise in the hearts of those who identify with Daniel 
and the God he knew. And we know too.